Chapter Twenty One of Deerbrook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Deerbrook by Harriet Martineau. Chapter Twenty One. Consciousness to the Unconscious. Mister Hope might well doubt. Margaret was not gay, but desperate. Yes, even the innocent may be desperate under circumstances of education and custom by which feelings natural and inevitable are made occasions of shame, while others, which are wrong and against the better nature of man, bask in daylight and impunity. There was not a famishing wretch prowling about a baker's door, more desperate than Margaret this day. There was not a gambler setting his teeth while watching the last turn of the die, more desperate than Margaret this day. If there was a criminal standing above a sea of faces with the abominable executioner's hands about his throat, Margaret was, for the time, as wretched as he. If any asked why, why it should be thus with one who has done no wrong, the answer is, why there is pride in human and heart. Why is there a particular nurture of this pride into womanly reserve? Why is it that love is the chief experience and almost the only object of a woman's life? Why is it that it is almost painful to beings who look before and after who have the one hope of existence dashed away, the generous faith outraged, all self-confidence overthrown, life in one moment made dreary as the desert, heaven itself overclouded, and death all the while standing at such a weary distance that there is no refuge within the horizon of endurance? Be these things right or wrong, they are, and while they are, Will the woman who loves unrequited feel desperate on the discovery of her loneliness, and the more pure and proud, innocent and humble, the more lonely? For some little time past, Margaret had been in a state of great tranquillity about Philip, a tranquillity which she now much wondered at. Now that it was all over, she had had an unconscious faith in him, and, living in this faith, she had forgotten herself. She had not thought of the future. She had not felt impatient for any change. Often as she wished for his presence, irksome as she had sometimes felt it to know nothing of him from week to week, she had been tacitly satisfied that she was in his thoughts as she was in hers, and this had been enough for the time. What an awakening from this quincent state was hers this day. It was from no other than Dr. Levitt that she had heard in the morning that Mr. Enderby was shortly going to be married to Miss Mary Bruce. Dr. Livett was at Windows Rye when Margaret went, and had walked part of the way home with her. During the walk, this piece of news had dropped out. While they were talking of Mrs. Enderby's health, all that Dr. Levitt knew of Miss Mary Bruce was that she was of sufficiently good family and fortune to make the Rowlands extremely well satisfied with the match, that Mrs. Enderby had never seen her, and that it would be some time before she could see her, as the whole family of the Bruces was at home for the winter. When Dr. Levitt parted from Margaret at the gate of the churchyard, these last words contained the hope she clung to, a hope which might turn into the deepest reason for despair. Philip had certainly not been abroad. Was it likely that he should lately have become engaged to any young lady who had been some time in Rome? It was not likely. But then, if it was true, he must have been long engaged. He must have been engaged at the time of his last visit of six days. When he had talked over his views of life with Margaret, and been so anxious to t obtain hers, he must sure have been engaged in the summer, when she found Tyke in the desk, 
and when he used to spend so many evenings at the Greys, certainly not on Hester's account. At one moment she was confident all this would not be. She was relieved. She stepped lightly. The next moment a misgiving came that it was all too true. The weight fell again upon her heart. She lost breath, and it was intolerable to have to curtsy to Mrs. James, and to answer the butcher's inquiry about the meat that had been ordered if these people would only go on with their own business, and take no notice of her. Then again the thought occurred, that she knew Philip better than any, than even his own family in that, say what they might, he was all her own. In these changes of mood she had got through dinner. The dominant idea was then that she must, by some means or other, obtain certainty. She thought of Maria. Maria was likely to know the facts from her constant intercourse with the Rowlands, and besides, there was certainly a something in Maria's mind in relation to Philip, a keen insight, which might be owning to the philosophical habit of her mind, or to something else, but which issued in information about him which it was surprising that she could obtain. She seldom spoke of him, but when she did, it was wonderfully to the purpose. Margaret thought she could learn from Maria in a very simple and natural way, that which she so much wished to know, and when she left the room after dinner, it was to write the note which might bring certainty. Dear friend, I saw Dr. Levitt this morning while I was out, and he told me, with all possible assurance, that Mr. Enderby is going to be married, very shortly to a young lady at Rome. Miss Mary Bruce, now this is true or it is not. If true, you are as well aware as we are that we are entitled to have known it otherwise. And earlier than by the common report, if not true, the rumor should not be allowed to spread. If you know anything certainly, one way or the other, pray tell us. Yours affectionately, Margaret Ibbotson. The we and us were not quite honest, but Margaret meant to make them as nearly so as possible, by ex post facto communication with her brother and sister, a resolution so easily made that it did not occur to her how difficult it might be to execute. While her messenger was gone, she wrought herself up to a resolution to bear the answer, whatever it might be, with the same quietness with which she must bear the whole of her nature life, if Dr. Levitt's news should prove to be founded in fact. The door opening seemed to prick the nerves of her ears. Her heart heaved to her throat at the sight of the white paper, yet it was with neatness that she broke with the seal and with a steady hand that she held the note to read it. The handwriting was only too distinct. It seemed to burn itself in upon her brain. All was over. Dear Margaret, I do not know where Dr. Levitt got his news, but I believe it is true. Mrs. Rowland pretends to absolute certainty about her brother's engagement to Miss Bruce, and it is from this that others speak so positively about it. Whatever are the grounds that Mrs. R. goes upon, there are others which afford a strong presumption that she is right. Some of these may be known to you. They leave no doubt in my mind that the report is true. As to the failure of confidence in his friends, what can be said, unless by the way of reminder of the old truth that, by the blessing of heaven, wrongs, be they but deep enough, may chasten a human temper into something divine. George has been very grave for the last three hours, pandering. I fancy, what irony can be for? Your sister will not grudge him his lesson, though afforded at her expense. Yours affectionately, Maria Young. Wrongs, thought she. Maria goes too far when she speaks of wrongs. There was nothing in my note to bring such an expression in answer. 
It is going too far. This was but the irritability of a racked soul, needing to spend its agony somewhere. The remembrance of the conversation with Maria held so lately, and of Maria's views of Philip's reaction to her, returned upon her, and her soul melted within her. She felt that Maria had understood her better than she did herself, and was justified in the words she had used, under severe calamity, to be endured alone. Evil thoughts sometimes come before good ones. Margaret was, for an hour or two, possessed with the bad spirit of defiance. Her mind sank back into what it had been in her childhood, when she had hidden herself in the lumber-room, or behind the water-tub, for many hours, to make the family uneasy, because she had been punished, in the days when she bore every infliction that her father dared to try, with apparent concern, rather than show to watchful eyes that she was moved, in the days when the slightest concussion would dissolve her stubbornness in an instant, but when, to get rid of a life of contradiction, she had had serious thoughts of cutting her throat, had gone to the kitchen door to get the carving-knife, and had been much disappointed to find the servants at dinner, and the knife-tray out of reach, this spirit, so long ago driven out by the genial influences of family love, by the religion of an expanding intellect, and the solace of appreciation, now came back to inhabit the purified bosom which had been kept carefully swept and garnished. It was the motion of the spirit, uneasy in its unfit abode, that showed itself by the shiver, the flushed cheek, the clenching hand, and the flashing eye. It kept whispering wicked things, I will baffle and deceive Maria. She shall withdraw her pity, and laugh at it with me. I defy Edward and Hester. They shall wonder how it is that my fancy alone is free, that my heart alone is untouched, that the storms of life pass over my head, and dare not lower. I will humble Philip, and convince him. But no, no, it would not do. The abode was too lowly and too pure for the evil spirit of defiance. The demon did not wait to be cast out, but as Margaret sat down in her chamber, alone with her lot, to face it as she might, the strange inmate escaped, and left her at least herself. Margaret was in agonished amazement at the newness of the misery. She was suffering. She really fancied she had sympathized with Hester that dreadful night of Hope's accident. She had then actually believed that she was entering into her sister's feelings. It had been as much like it as seeing a picture of one on the rack is like being racked. But Hester had not had so much cause for misery, for she never had to believe Edward unworthy. Her pride had been wounded at finding that her peace was no longer in her own power. But she had not been trifled with, duped. Here again Margaret refused to believe. The fault was all her own. She had been full of herself, full of vanity, fancying without cause, that she was much to another when she was little. She was humbled now, and she no doubt deserved it. But how ineffably weak and mean did she appear in her own eyes! It was this which clouded heaven to her at the moment, that earth had become a desert. She felt so debased that she durst not ask for strength, where she was wont to find it. If she had done one single wrong thing, she thought she could bear the consequences cheerfully, and seek support, and vigorously set about repairing the causes of her fault. But here it seemed to her that her whole state of mind had been low and selfish. It must be this sort of blindness, which had led her so far in so dearful a delusion, and if the whole condition of her mind had been low and selfish, while her conscience 
given her no hint of anything being amiss. Where was she to begin to rectify her being? She felt wholly degraded. And then what a set of pictures rose up before her excited fancy. Philip going forth for a walk with her and Hester, after having just sealed a letter to Miss Bruce, carrying the consciousness of what he had been saying to the mistress of his heart, while she, Margaret, and suppose herself the chief object of his thought and care. Again Philip discussing her mind and character with Miss Bruce as those of a friend for whom he had a regard, or bestowing a passing imagination on how she would receive the intelligence of his engagement. Perhaps he reserved the news till he could come down to Deerbrook and call and tell her himself, as one whose friendship deserved, that he should be the bearer of his own tidings, that footstep whose spring she had strangely considered her own signal of joy was not hers but another's, that laugh, the recollection of which made her smile even in these dreadful moments, was to echo in another's home. She was stripped of all her heart's treasure, of his tones, his ways, his thoughts, a treasure which she had lived upon without knowing it. She was stripped of it all, cast out, left alone, and he and all others would go on their ways, unaware that anything had happened. Let them do so. It was hard to bear up in solitude when self-respect was gone with all the rest, but it must be possible to live on, no matter how, if to live on was appointed. If not, there was death, which was better. These thoughts were not beneath one like Margaret, one who was religious as she. It requires time for religion to avail anything when self-respect is utterly broken down. A devout sufferer may surmount the pangs of persecution at the first onset and wrestle with bodily pain, and calmly endure bereavement by death. But there is no power of faith by which a woman can attain resignation under the agony of unrequited passion otherwise than by conflict, long and terrible. Margaret laid down at last, because her eyes were weary of seeing, and she would fain have shut out all sounds, the occasional flicker of a tiny blaze, however, and the fall of a cinder in the hearth, served to lull her senses, and it was not long before she slept, but oh the horrors of that sleep! The lines of Maria's note stared her in the face, glaring, glowing, gigantic. Sometimes she was trying to read them, and could not, though her life depended on them. Now Mrs. Rowland had got a hold of them, and now they were thrown into the flames, but would not burn, and the letters grew red-hot. Then came the image of Philip, and that horror was mixed up with whatever was most ludicrous, when she was struggling for voice to speak to him, and she mocked her useless efforts. Oh, how she struggled, till some strong arm raised her, and some other voice murmured gently in her throbbing ear, Wake, my dear, wake up, Margaret. What is it, dear? Wake. Mother, is that you? Oh, mother, have you come at last? murmured Margaret, sinking her head on Morris's shoulder. It was some moments before Margaret felt a warm tear fall upon her cheek, and heard Morris say, No, my dear, not yet. Your mother is in a better place than this, where we shall all rest with her at last, Miss Margaret. What is all this? said Margaret, raising herself, and looking round her. What did I mean about my mother? Oh, Morris, my head is all confused, and I think I have been frightened. They were laughing at me, and when somebody came to help me, I thought it must be my mother. Oh, Morris, it is a long while. I wish I was with her. Morris did not desire to hear what Margaret's dream had been, 
The immediate cause of Margaret's distress she did not know, but she had for some time suspected that which only one person in the world was aware of besides herself, the terrible secret of this household was no secret to her. She was experienced enough in love and its signs to know, without being told where love was absent and where it rested, she had not doubted, up to the return from the wedding trip, that all was right. But she had never been quite happy since. She had perceived no sign that either sister was aware of the truth. The countenance of their sisterly friendship was a proof that neither of them was. But she wished to avoid hearing the particulars of Margaret's dream, and all revelations which, in the weakness and confusion of an hour like this, she might be tempted to make. Morris withdrew from Margaret's clasp moved softly across the room, gently put the red embers together in the grate, and lighted the lamp which stood on the table. I hope, whispered Margaret, trying to still her shivering, that nobody heard me but you. How came you to think of coming to me? My room being over this, you know, it was easy to hear the voice of a person in an uneasy sleep. I am glad I happened to be awake, so I put on my cloak and came. Morris did not say that Edward had heard the stifled cry also, and that she had met him on the stairs coming to beg that she would see what could be done. Hester having slept through it, Margaret's need never knew that other ears than Morris's had heard her, thus had Hope and Morris tactically agreed. Now, my dear, when I have warmed this flannel to put about your feet, you must go to sleep again. I will not leave you till daylight, till the house is near being astir. So you may sleep without being afraid of bad dreams. I will rouse you, if I see you disturbed. Now, no more talking, or we shall have the house up, and all this had better be between you and me. To satisfy Margaret, Morris lay down on the outside of the bed, warmly covered, and the nurse once more, as in the old days, felt her favorite child breathing quietly against her shoulder. Once more she wiped away the standing tears, and prayed in her heart for the object of her care. If her prayer had had words, it would have been this. Thou hast been pleased to take to thyself the parents of these dear children, and surely thou wilt be therefore pleased to be to them as father and mother, or to raise up or spare to them such as may be so. This is what I would ask for myself, that I may be that comfort to them. Thou knowest that a strange trouble hath entered this house." Thou knowest for thine eyes, seen beneath the face into the heart. As the sun shines into a locked chamber at noon, thou knowest what these young creatures knew not. Make holy to them what thou knowest. Let thy silence rest upon that which must not be spoken. Let thy strength be supplied where temptation is hardest. Let the innocence which has come forth from thine own hand be kept fit to appear in all the light of thy countenance. Oh, let them never be seen thinking with shame before thee. Father, if thou hast made thy children to love one another for their good, let not love be a grief and a snare to such as these. Thou canst turn the hearts even of the wicked, turn the hearts of these thy dutiful children to love, where love may be all honor and no shame, so that they may have no more mysteries from each other, as I am sure they have none from thee. All who know them have doubtless asked thy blessing on their house, their health, their basket and store. Let me ask it also on the workings of their hearts, since if their hearts be right, all is well, or will be in thine own best time. When Margaret entered the breakfast-room in the morning, she found her brother sketching the skaters of Deerbrook. 
while the tea was brewing hester was looking over her shoulder laughing as she recognized one after another of her neighbors in the act of skating this one by the stoop that by the formality and the other by the coat flaps flying out behind no inquiries were made not a word was said of health or spirits it seems strange that sufferers have not yet found means to stop the practice of such inquiries a practice begun in kindness and carried on in the spirit of hospitality but productive of great annoyance to all but those who do not need such inquiries the healthful and the happy there are multitudes of invalids who can give no comfortable answer respecting their health and who are averse from giving an uncomfortable one and for whom nothing is therefore left but evasion there are only too many sufferers to whom it is irksome to be questioned about their hours of sleeplessness or whom do not choose to have it known that they have not slept the unpleasant old custom of pressing people to eat has gone out the sooner the other observance of hospitality is allowed to follow it the better all who like to tell of illness and sleeplessness can do so and those who have reasons for reserve upon such points as margaret had this morning can keep their own counsel at the earliest possible hour that the etiquette of deerbrook would allow there was a knock at the door that must be mrs rowland exclaimed hester one may know that woman's temper by her knock so consequential and yet so sharp margaret love you can run upstairs there is time yet if you do not wish to see her why should i said margaret looking up with a calmness which perplexed hester this is either ignorance thought she or such patience as i wish i had it was mrs rowland and she was come to tell what hester feared margaret might not be able to bear to hear she was attended only by the little fellow who was so fond of riding on uncle philip's shoulder it was rather lucky that ned came as margaret was furnished with something to do in taking off his worst gloves and rubbing his little red hands between her own and then she could say a great many things to him about learning to slide and the difficulty of keeping on the snowman's nose and about her wonder that they had not thought of putting a pipe into his mouth before this subject was finished mrs rowland turned full round to margaret and said that the purpose of her visit was to explain fully something that her poor mother had let drop yesterday to mr hope her mother was not what she had been though indeed she had always been rather apt to let out things that she should not she found that mr hope had been informed by her mother of her brother philip's engagement to a charming young lady who would indeed be a great ornament to the connexion i assure you said margaret my brother is very careful and always remembers that he is upon honour as to what he hears in a sick room he has not mentioned it oh then it is safe we are much obliged to mr hope i am sure i said to my mother my dear ma'am but i must mention said margaret that the news was abroad before i must beg that you will not suppose my brother has spoken of it if you should find that everybody knows it i heard it from dr levitt yesterday about the same time i fancy that mr hope was hearing it from mrs enderby hester sat perfectly still to avoid all danger of showing that this was news to her how very strange exclaimed the lady i often say there is no keeping anything quiet in deerbrook do you know where dr levitt got his information no said margaret smiling dr levitt generally knows what he is talking about i dare say he had it from some good authority the young lady is at rome i find 
are you acquainted with miss bruce asked hester thinking it time to relieve margaret of her share of the conversation margaret started a little on finding that her sister had heard the news was it possible that her brother and sister had been afraid to tell her no it was a piece of edward's professional discretion his wife alone had a right to the news he heard among his patients oh yes replied mrs rowland i have long loved mary as a sister their early attachment made a sister of her to me an age ago it has been a long engagement then said hester glad to say anything which might occupy mrs rowland as margaret's lips were now turning very white not now my dear margaret was heard to say to little ned over whom she was bending her head as she stood by her side stand still here she continued with wonderful cheerfulness of tone i want to hear your mamma tell us about uncle philip with the effort her strength rallied and the paleness was gone before mrs rowland had turned round how long the engagement has existed said the lady i cannot venture to say i speak only of the attachment young people understand their own affairs you know and have their little mysteries and laugh behind our backs i dare say at our ignorance of what they are about philip has been sly enough as to this i own but i must say i had my suspicions i was pretty confident of his being engaged from the day that he told me in the summer that he fully agreed with me that it was time he was settled how differently some people understood that thought hester and margaret at the same moment is mr enderby at rome now asked hester no he is hard at work studying law he is really going to apply to a profession now not that it would be necessary for mary has a very good fortune but mary wishes so much that he should like a sensible girl as she is it is what i urged when he consulted me thought margaret she had had little idea whose counsel she was following up we shall soon hear of his setting off for the continent however i have no doubt said the lady to bring home his bride observed margaret calmly why i do not know that the bruces will be returning early in the spring and i should like the young people to marry in town that we may have them here for their wedding trip how you do hug me cried the laughing little boy around whom margaret's arm was passed have i made you worn at last asked margaret if not you may go and stand by the fire no indeed we must be going said mamma as i find this news is abroad i must call on mrs gray she will take offence at once if she hears it from anybody but me so much for people's husbands being partners in business margaret was now fully qualified to comprehend her sister's irritability every trifle annoyed her the rustle of mrs rowland's handsome cloak almost made her sick and she thought the hall clock would never have done striking twelve when conscious of this she put a strong check upon herself hester stood by the mantelpiece looking into the fire and taking no notice of the mutual silence upon this piece of news at last she muttered in a soliloquizing tone do not know but i am not sure this news is true after all after a moment's pause margaret replied i think that is not very reasonable what must one suppose of everybody else if it is not true hester was going to say what must we think of him if it is this but she checked herself she should not have said what she said she felt this and only replied just so yes it must be true margaret's heart once more sank within her at this corroboration of her own remark End of chapter twenty one